Hi, it's Dave. Welcome. Today, um, this is part two of a conversation I'm having with Matt Smith. He is the creator of a YouTube channel called Spark Spread and also active on Twitter. He's a Tesla investor. Um, he also has a, a background in energy. And I wanted to invite him on this channel to talk about Tesla energy, to break, us, break down the different parts, what we can expect with Tesla energy going forward, how to value it maybe five or 10 years down the road. Um, if you're interested, part one was about Cybertruck and how Matt... Um, reserve 21 Cybertrucks to be a fleet operator. So check out that episode um, before Tesla closes the loophole. <laughs> Anyways, Matt, I want to welcome you again uh, to the channel. Thanks, Dave. All right, man. Uh, so I know you're a Tesla investor. Um, mm -hmm. Curious, how often do you check the, the stock price every day? Oh, more than I should, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty much always up in, in the background, and, mm -hmm. and I, I have noticed that I've probably taken a hit to my productivity by, by checking it too much. Yeah. Um, um, when you did know, you I, I have, oh, go ahead? No, that's, uh, I was just going to say, you know, I, I've, I've started doing some of, uh, you know, the Gary Black strategy of, of, you know, selling, you know, the weekly call options. Yeah. And, and I think ever since I've done that, that's, um, I think opened the door to, you know, more frequent checking than, than maybe I'd otherwise like. <laughs> exactly. Um, when did you, uh, get started investing into Tesla? Uh, I think it was 2017. It was either late 2017 or, or early 2018. Um, you know, in addition to energy, I have a kind of a background in, in valuation and, and in investment banking. Um, so, you know, I, I'd loved Tesla for a long time. You know, I actually applied to work at Tesla back, back in, I think it was 2009. Um, drove a car, drove a Model S in, you know, 2013. Always loved it. But, you know, just with my, my finance background, I always thought the valuation was crazy. Mm -hmm. Um but I started listening to to the earnings calls in in 2017, and then you know when when Elon started talking about autonomy and and you know the real kind of first principles, you know like physics based you know reasons why it, it made sense. Like a lot of that really clicked in my mind. And his approach was was so differentiated, not not using lidar. And so that's when I started seeing okay, not only is there you know this this you know thriving just you know EV business that's you know yet to be profitable, but um, you know, has some promise to be, but if they can solve autonomy, then like the, that's just a drastically larger, you know, uh, share price implication than, you know, the 250 pre-split level that it had kind of been hovering around for a long time. So that, that's kind of what convinced me to, to go more aggressively in the stock. And then, you know, just as I, I did that, I learned, started digging in and learned a lot more about it and just became way more, you know, mm -hmm. aggressive and, and interested in, in Tesla. Mm -hmm. What percent of your portfolio is in Tesla? Um, so I have a, I have a, you know, traditional 401k, which is, you know, not Tesla. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, like of my other portfolio, it's 90% plus, I'd say. Got it. So, um, impressive. Um, yeah. So, um, we, in our first episode, our first part, we talked about um, Tesla full self-driving and just the potential with that. And in this episode, I wanted to talk about Tesla energy, get your thoughts on how to look at it going forward. Um, a lot of people think of Tesla as just an auto company, but like as an auto company by itself, it's a hyper-competitive, low-margin business. You're not going to get valued that much. Um, but Tesla... On top of that, they have this whole full self-driving, autonomous driving, which is a huge, you know, um, new market. And then they also have this Tesla energy division. So um, I want to ask you, I guess, first off, um, 
some people, like for example, ARK Invest, have decided not to include Tesla Energy in their more midterm price targets. So I think in 2025, ARK Invest's um, base case is $3,000, but they chose to leave out, leave off Tesla Energy because they look at Tesla Energy as, you know, um, they think the revenue will be decently significant, but um, they look at more of it as a as a hedge or a buffer t for their auto um, production, mm -hmm. where because auto production is cyclical mm -hmm. uh, during times where demand is low, they can beef up their, their energy, you know, cell production, et cetera. So they're not really looking at it as a major, you know, profit driver. Uh, what's your opinion? Do you think, um, are you including it in, in a 2025 model? Do you think it's significant? Um, what's your thoughts? Um, yeah. So I, I, I did pretty much the same thing that, that arc did, you know, in 2019, when, when I was kind of coming up, coming up with my valuation models. Um, it's, it's so small right now. I mean, it's, it's basically rounding error right now. Um, at last quarter, the, the gross margins were even negative. So, you know, you could argue that it's, it's a, even a negative value driver. Um, I, I don't believe that, but you know, there's at least an argument to be made there. So I'm, I'm certainly sympathetic to ARC's approach because I was right there with them, you know, a year ago. Um, but, you know, just having my the background that, that I have and, you know, listening to a lot of the stuff that Elon has, has said, I'm like, OK, clearly they have plans, but they've not been very public with with what those are. Um, so I started trying to kind of piece it together myself over the last year or so. Um, and so, yeah, I, I am including it now in, in my evaluation. Um, I think let me see what I have here. It's it's a it's not a, a huge piece of, of the overall pie. So you know, in my my valuation, I'm coming up with three hundred fifty four dollars um, on on the energy side uh, between you know the hardware components, solar and and storage, um, as well as you know the the software side, which I think to to your point about you know like there's the auto business and there's full self driving. I think the energy side is going to be the same way where you've got you know like the hardware sales. But then there's services that those that, that, that hardware can be enabled to to um, provide that can create cash flow for the business. Um, but I think it's going to be a lot harder than than on the automotive side. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's right that it's a small ish percentage of, of the overall, you know, business, at least if you're if you're doing a discounted cash flow to, to today. But in 2030, if you fast forward, you know, I think there's a, a strong case to be made that it at that point you know, there is, it'll be a much larger portion of the value. Mm -hmm. So you're attributing 300 and something dollars per share in 2030. Is that correct? 350. Well, so I've, I've done a discounted cash flow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've done out to 2030 mm -hmm. uh, and then a okay. terminal value. And then I'm discounting that back to, to, to today. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm saying $354 discounted impact, today. Um, discounted sure. to today. Sure. Um, but there's a huge amount of, I, I would say I have less confidence on this side of the business than I do on the automotive, mm -hmm. just because Tesla has not really shared any of their details. Um, so uh, I've tried to piece together and, and make some reasonable assumptions. Um, but I think there are some, you know, legitimate open questions. Um, the biggest of, of which in my mind is, you know, they, they talked about three terawatt hours by 2030. Uh, if you do the math, that, that leaves like half of that's for energy. Um, that is a gigantic amount of, of batteries. Um, and just like, I, I've, I've run the math on like from a, from a utility standpoint of, um, putting, you know, batteries on the grid and it's, it's marginal at best right now. Um, so, you know, I think you see a lot of Tesla investors talk about Hornsdale and be like, oh, this is just a big cash cow. 
in the right, but that that's a very unique project that's not really replicable at scale. Um, and the other problem with batteries is that the more you add to them, um, so like if you're if you're trying to take advantage of on-peak and off-peak prices, um, the first batteries that you put in, you know, can generate the most profit. But then if you just saturate the market with more batteries, then the the peak and the trough, you know, delta gets compressed down. So at scale, it's actually harder to make make profit uh, on batteries. Um, so, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about this, and and I really think that the the huge opportunity relies in, on the residential side um, for reasons we, we can get into if, if you want. But um, that's the, the spot, I think, where uh, batteries are going to be most economic. And it, that, that's where you can like, truly disrupt with minimal regulatory requirements, which in the energy space is, is a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. So I'll, let's dive into kind of Tesla energy. So um, mm-hmm. what are the major parts? So you have Tesla solar and under solar, you have solar panels and solar roof. Mm-hmm. And then you have Tesla energy or Tesla, you know, storage, energy storage with their um, utility grade, you know, mega packs, et cetera. Okay. And then you have your residential with their power walls. Um, mm-hmm. And then on top of this, I, I noticed you've also kind of, you know, looked into energy as a service. So providing, mm-hmm. you know, grid services um, um, to make the grids more stable to maybe offset peak, you know, hours, et cetera. So um, can you give us kind of a, a picture, a rundown of how you see Tesla energy? Where is the biggest potential? Is it in solar roof? Is it in solar panels? Is it in storage? You know, you said residential, you're really looking at something with potential. Is that because of the hardware sales or is it because of the energy as a service, the grid services that it'll provide or what's kind of your breakdown? Yeah, so um, a lot to unpack there. I'll, I'll do my best, but um, the so let's let's start with the with the residential side. Um, I, I think the reason that I'm I'm the most bullish there is because um, you can put the hardware um, what's called behind the meter. So you know, like if you have a solar roof and power wall, um, that's powering your house directly, and you know you can you can do that with kind of minimal um, interconnection requirements from, from your utility. And, and if you make it large enough, you can actually disconnect altogether from, from your utility. Um, on top of that, residential pricing for energy is the highest of of all pricing. So, um, you know, in my, in my previous job, I oversaw, um, wind plants and, and, uh, biomass power plants. And, you know, you're selling energy, you know, generally speaking, it's somewhere in the, you know, $20 $20 per megawatt hour to on a good day, you know, like $35 per megawatt hour. Um, and in some regions, like in, in Texas, um, more like 15 to $20. Um, so that, that translates to like one and a half cents, uh, per, per kilowatt hour. Um, so if you're trying to introduce, you know, batteries or, you know, solar into that environment, the, the economics just, just don't pencil very well. Um, but when you look at, um, something in the residential neighborhood, then not only are you saving on the energy generation and your utility may charge you, you know, 3.5 cents, 4.5 cents per, per kilowatt hour for the generation, but then you're going to pay another 70 cents or so, or uh, sorry, seven cents or so, um, for the transmission and for the distribution. Um, and so, so, 
you know, I think a lot of consumers probably think that they're paying, you know, for the electrons to be generated and put to their house. But actually, a larger percentage of the overall cost they pay is the transportation uh, through transmission and distribution to their house. So if you kind of flip the, the current model, which is centralized electricity generation, if you flip that on its head and go to a distributed energy energy generation model, that's where you can offset the most amount of cost. Um, so you're not just undercutting, you know, utility generation prices. You're actually avoiding all sorts of potentially unnecessary infrastructure in transmission and distribution. So that's where I, th I think the the economics will will pencil the best for end users. Um, and so I've kind of started my analysis with with that assumption that um, true disruption and the best kind of economic bang for your buck is going to be by having, you know, behind the meter, mostly residential, but also some commercial and, and, and industrial generation and storage. Um, so that's that's kind of the overall framework. And then, you know, from there, I think the the scale that Elon's talking about, you know, one and a half terawatt hours of, of capacity, you know, by, by 2030, which means if you're looking at like the cumulative deployed base of, of um, battery assets that they're trying to target by the year 2030. I mean, it's absolutely massive. Um, and so, so what I did is I kind of compared that scale of batteries that, that they've outlined um, with some reasonable revenue assumptions and compared that to, to what they've said on the, the hardware side. So Elon has said on solar that um, he wants to get to a long-term goal of 20,000 solar roofs per week. Um, so I was looking at like, okay, what does that translate to in, in terms of revenue? And it's it's kind of it's small. I forget the exact numbers that I came up with, but it's like a relatively small drop in the bucket. Um, and and same thing if you were just to assume, let's say that you know you've got those twenty thousand roofs a week um, over the course of a year, and you put two power walls on average, you know, with with those units, um, that's that still is like a drop in the bucket of the total capacity that they're saying they want to have. Um, it was something like one percent of the one and a half terawatt hours so so that was kind of shocking to me to to kind of say something about this math doesn't add up so then i started thinking well maybe they're going to drastically increase the size of their batteries and if they did that so if a power wall went from like 14 kilowatt hours to 140 kilowatt hours at a, at a price that wasn't awful um then you can have like absolutely massive disruption by people disconnecting from the utilities um you know you could have multiple weeks worth of storage and you can potentially economically go off grid um which is, just has huge implications for for the whole industry um so i think that's kind of the, the path that they're going down but um that there's a lot of speculation in there admittedly yeah yeah no this is quite fascinating stuff so i mean at 140 you know kilowatt hour let's say home battery pack power wall um what price i mean what are the economics here like <laughs> yeah, like what what can they charge for it so you know how low can they get their battery costs down um like hypothetically if it's 50 dollars per kilowatt hour times 140 that's what eight thousand dollars so mm -hmm. um i mean if they give it at cost somehow figure out like <laughs> to make it all in cost yeah. right at fifty dollars uh, per, so, per kilowatt hour that's pretty impressive i mean eight thousand bucks for a hundred forty right. Um, so, so, but the, but the, your fifty dollars figure, right, is is the sell cost. Um, mm -hmm. But, but that's a really important component of it. So, so the other piece, the other angle I was, I was, you know, taking when I started thinking about this stuff was, um, okay, right now their their power wall, I think it's like five hundred, 
there. It might be it's somewhere around five hundred dollars per kilowatt hour. Um, and so then I started thinking, how can they lower that cost? Um, mm -hmm. And it seemed to me that you know the easiest thing to do, if your cell component is, let's say, in the future, you know, with the with the new technology, fifty dollars a kilowatt hour, like you said. Well, if you if you if you just make the scale, you know, ten times bigger, um, then you can amortize, you know, some of the other, you know, like inverters and and the casing and installation, some of those other other, you know, costly components of the overall price. Uh, you can amortize those over a much larger base, and so I, I don't think you'll you'll necessarily get down to fifty dollars a kilowatt hour, but maybe you know, installed with the packaging and everything, maybe you can get it to seventy five or you know, hundred dollars a kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. um, but still, that's not an awful price. Um, and if they can get the price down there, then yeah. it's just it it has huge implications for the industry. Yeah, definitely, and um, especially ten years down the road, you know. The, the price per kilowatt hour might actually be significantly lower than even 50. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. But, but if you think about it, like, you know, if you can have two weeks of storage for $14,000, um, you know, and, and you, you pair that with solar, then all of a sudden you never need to pay a utility bill again. I've done the, the math and yeah. it's like, that's actually a good financial decision on top of being green and, um, mm -hmm. you know, just a good consumer experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what role does, you know, grid services or energy as a service kind of play? Um, how much does it make it more attractive to own, let's say, a solar roof or solar panels and Tesla power walls and even a Tesla car? Like, does this move the needle in terms of the actual benefit, right, an owner would, would accrue? Uh, to be honest, I don't think it does move the needle a whole lot. Um, a lot of it depends on how it how it pans out. Um, but you know, with with the these assumptions I've been doing, so I did a lot of research on what are all the different pilot programs that are out there. So, you know, Vermont's got a, a program, Vermont Co-op. I forget the exact co-op, the uh, electric co-op, where they'll essentially subsidize a power wall for you, um, and you know. You, you can then the, the utility can then kind of use it as emergency backup and, you know, they'll, they'll provide some other services to the grid. Um, so there's a lot of different regions that have similar um, programs like that out there. So uh, I went through and, um, you know, kind of looked at what did those translate to on a dollar per kilowatt hour per month basis. Um, and, and kind of what I came up with is right now the pricing is somewhere around a dollar fifty per kilowatt hour per month. Um, and so if you, if you just start scaling this up, um, it is a meaningful revenue stream, but it's not, you know, it's nothing that really, um, compares to even the, the hardware component of, of the sales, uh, let alone the, um, you know, the auto side of the business. But that said, um, I think the important thing to keep in mind is that, you know, these are, you know, 15, 30 year, like long lived assets. Um, and, and they are increasing at a rapid scale. So not only, so you've got deployments increasing at like a, at a very rapid exponential scale. But then if you flip that and say, okay, energy as a service will not be off of new sales. It will be off of the cumulative deployed base of hardware asset, like energy assets out there. So, um, when you start thinking about it that way and then you've got like, you know, a delivery curve that looks like this, then you'll have like a cumulative base that is just like a, like almost a straight line up. So even at relatively low prices, um, you know, if you fast forward a decade, say to the point where you've got, you know, tens of terawatt hours potentially, uh, of storage out there, plus you know, many either, uh, gigawatts or, or terawatts of, 
of solar, then even if if the revenue streams for these ancillary services are are quite small, just the the deployed base of assets is going to be so astronomical that um, you know it's it's very high margin revenue that will be kind of made on the on the back of those assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Tesla will split that that type of revenue at all with the the owner, or will they just give it to the owner kind of as a benefit? I, I think they'll they'll have to. Um, so you know if if the if the owner is going to pay you for the hardware, um, you can't nearly justify Tesla having complete control over, you know, when those batteries charge and discharge uh, without the customer agreeing to that and and probably having a a share in the profits. So, you know, I think right now you see Tesla working with a lot of different partners to kind of like in the UK, they've got um, a a defined, um, you know, energy rate that, you know, you kind of agree to certain terms where where they'll use your batteries in a certain way to kind of benefit the grid and, and their partner. Um, but you you get a you know a lower lower rate out of out of the deal. So it's it's gonna pan out. Regulations in different countries and even like in different states and cities are so drastically different um, that I think exactly how the model looks is gonna vary quite a bit region to region. Um, but I think you're gonna have to split it. Interesting. Um, how serious is Tesla with auto bidder? Um, and how big of a market really is that? Is it something that's kind of more nascent, just slow and growing, or is it? Does this have a lot of potential? And for those who don't know, maybe you can explain auto bidder a bit. Yeah, so I think there's maybe some confusion on, on auto bidder, um, you know, because it, it basically is a like a, a an intelligence um, for like it, it's it's it, I think of it really as like a a decision making artificial intelligence. Um, so you have, let's just say we're looking at a residential customer, um, and you've got like a set, uh, price that you can either buy or sell electricity for. Um, and you also have like a car that needs to be charged and you've got a certain amount of solar hitting your roof. Um, auto bidder is, is kind of the decision-making, um, software that decides, okay, we're going to charge the power wall up to here, or we're going to discharge at this time to, you know, make some money by by selling to the grid, or we're gonna you know charge the battery up because prices are low. There are, um, if you look at like the entire fleet of assets that Tesla has, there are millions of decisions that need to be made like at discrete geographic locations, um, and it's it's going to be different decisions everywhere uh, based on the customers' needs and preferences, based on local energy pricing, based on local market structures. Like, can you even export to the grid in certain areas? It it, it really depends. Um, but then at the same time, you've got it being used on projects like you know Hornsdale, where you know you you've got very large um, arbitrage opportunities, energy pricing arbitrage opportunities. Um, and it's certainly uh, making making a, a good amount of money there as well. Um, so I don't I don't necessarily view auto bidder as like there's a market for for auto bidder in, in like pricing necessarily. I, I really do view it more of, of like the decision making matrix that the hardware that's out there, um, how it's going to optimize with the localized market conditions around that particular asset. Um, and it's, it's, it's like impossible to try to quantify that, <laughs> to, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, would you say Audibitter is more of a way to, um, leverage and maximize, you know, the existing assets or, or basically, you know, your, your storage, whether it's your power walls or your car, hypothetically, if it could do vehicle to grid and mm-hmm. it will intelligently, you know, 
manage this like huge web of Tesla, you know, storage and distributed, you know, energy um, in a way where it could provide energy to the grid. And by doing so, it, it adds some value to the owner. But you're saying that is yet to be completely quantifiable. Yeah. So you, you can you can certainly quantify it like on a on a individual project basis. Um, that's that's no problem necessarily. But it's just auto bidder can be used for like so many different things that it's, it's very hard to kind of get like a universal, you know, um, use case for it because because they really will be different. Um, but maybe, maybe just to give like an example. Um, so I just installed a, you know, a level two charger at home. And so now uh, through my local utility, I got access to like different on peak and off peak pricing. So, um, you know, like I get, I get, I forget what it is, but something like three cents if I charge between midnight and 8 a.m. Wow, that's and, low. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Wow. yeah, yeah. It's, it, it might be slightly higher than that. I can't okay. remember. But, um, but then it's like, it's like punitive if I, if I charge during the day, it's like, you know, 18 cents or something like that. Um, so I know what, what my local utility is doing is, you know, they've got prices that vary drastically throughout the day. And, and, you know, based on on my background, I I know that in, in MISO, which is the grid operator where I, um, where I'm located, MISO actually has real time locational pricing um, every five minutes that, that the utilities are constantly bidding into. Um, and so what the utility is trying to do by giving me the, the, these tiered rate structures is to kind of approximate the overall cost that, that they're getting, but it's, it's a crude approximation. I mean, they're giving huge hourly, you know, multiple hour chunks that, that they're using to kind of approximate, you know, the five minute interval data that the, that the grid is really using in real time. So I think what auto bidder should be capable of doing down the road um, if regulations kind of open up for the for, for Tesla to access these, is to aggregate all these very small, you know, um, batteries that are, you know, you've got a 14 kilowatt hour pack in your in your garage, and and maybe if V2G happens, or even without V2G, you can actually access some value just by uh, um, indicating when your vehicle should charge. But if you can have Tesla kind of aggregate all of these disparate assets um, spread throughout a whole region and then say, hey, I can prove to you, you know, grid operator, MISO, PJM, whoever the grid operator is locally, um, that I can instantaneously reduce demand um, to access these, you know, five minute interval prices. Then you've got like something that nobody can really compete with um, or very, very few companies can really compete with because, um, to get it at scale where you can be reacting intelligently, like in five minute intervals is like, very difficult to do. And, um, I think many utilities would, would kind of struggle to, to do that with, with distributed assets, like, you know, like batteries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'm very excited about it, but it's, it's going to be very strange to see how, how it pans out. Cause I think some people will fight it. Some jurisdictions will just say, no, you can't access that. And but if you're going to assume that Tesla has the kind of scale that you know Elon has said they want to have, it would just be crazy for them not to try to mm-hmm. access these these supplemental revenue streams. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, recently, there's been news that uh, Tesla has increased their solar roof price, and they've mm-hmm. added kind of like an option to choose different configurations for your roof, like a simple and more advanced one. Yeah. Um, how, are, is that concerning to you at all that? actually Tesla has increased their price. Do you think it's indicative of some type of scaling problem or maybe higher expenses than 
they maybe initially anticipated for solar roof. Um, what's your take um, on kind of where solar roof is in the bigger picture? Yeah, so I, I think we're, we're definitely still in the you know very early ramp of, of solar roof. Um, you know, I was listening to listening to Emmett kind of describe Emmett Peppers describe the installation process on, on his roof, and it was like a week to get the old roof off, and then. I think he was like a week or two weeks to do the power walls and then, and then, you know, the, the new shingles. Um, and that is, that, that is just, that's too long. Like to, to do this at scale cost effectively, they, they've got to get not only their manufacturing process of the solar panels, um, the solar tiles, you know, down, which it sounds like they haven't quite ramped that fully yet in, in Buffalo. Um, but I think the, the bigger piece, you know, affecting gross margins for, for energy is the installation process. I mean, they went on a huge hiring binge. I think it was in Q3, maybe it was Q4 last year, um, where they, they just hired all these solar installation teams like throughout the country, throughout the United States. Um, and in, in my mind, it's like, it's way too early to, to be expecting any sort of reasonable gross profits when, when these teams are still trying to figure out how to like efficiently and effectively install these on a variety of different roof types um so so to me that's the metric i'd be watching more closely is is what is the normal consumer how long does their installation process take because i think that's going to be a bigger driver of gross margin and i think once they once they can get that down to i don't know call it a week or something hopefully elon has has said he wanted to do it in like a day at least the Uh the pile installation part i think taking the roof down is probably gonna take longer but um if they can get that that you know length down to like a day or two of insulation or let's call it a week then um that 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 to me is much more uh of a closer uh, more important metric to watch than than what's the the price mm-hmm. um cuz if they can't if if they're they're probably not going to have a huge market at the at the higher pricing that they have but it sounds like they've got at least enough demand, you know, to, to kind of do that. So I, I, I view it as sort of a short term gross margin, you know, kind of boost where they've got enough demand. They know that they're not going to be optimal, optimally installing these right now. So so why not try to at least not make the, the gross margin negative like it was last quarter? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, a couple houses down from where I live, um, they replaced their roof, but they had like 10 people up on the roof. And like in one, day, like two days, they're they're done. You know, it's like crazy yeah. how fast they they do it. Um, so it's it's kind of um scary to think you know Tesla roof can take three weeks. You know, for a crew <laughs> of six people or something or even more. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think um yeah, solar roof has so much potential, but it has so much complexity because it's such a new ambitious project. Um, yeah. Once Tesla, it seems like they get it down, like they actually. You know, as you're saying, get the installation, you know, process costs, you know, labor down, um, improve the product. Then I don't know if there's going to be really much competition because I don't know who's a- as ambitious as Elon and Tesla to even try something like a solar roof. You know, just well, Dow actually, yeah. Dow Chemical introduced a product uh, like this like five years ago, maybe, and, and there was just no demand and it was crazy expensive. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, yeah. They weren't trying to vertically integrate like mm-hmm. like Tesla is, and like they they care about the installation process. Where you know, Dow Chemical just created a cool tile and they wanted to like have normal contractors just install it, and it's like 
you don't want roof contractors trying to figure out electrical installation. <laughs> like you need to have like a holistic yeah. uh, thought process uh, of how you're going to deliver that customer experience when you're, you know, maybe putting in a new breaker and putting in new power walls, putting in tiles, but also kind of interconnecting them um, mm-hmm. as circuits the way that you need to, to make these, these products work. So yeah, yeah it's, um, I, nobody's trying it. Like as, as far as I can tell, nobody else is really actively trying to, to <laughs> deliver the product. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough one to copy too, I think. Um, cause it's not just one thing, it's an entire like process of yeah. many, many things. And it has to look okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. hiding those solar panels is no small feat. Like it's, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's very complicated. Yep. Um, Matt, I enjoyed our conversation on Tesla Energy. Um, for this part, part one, we talked about um, Cybertrucks and Tesla full self-driving, and that was a great episode, so you guys can check that out. I'll link it in the video description. I'll link to Matt's um, YouTube channel. It's called Spark Spread. He's got some great videos on there, and I'll also link to Matt's um, Twitter account as well in the video description. Do you have anything else um, you wanted to share or anything on your mind? Um, no, nothing else right now. Really appreciate, uh, appreciate the time, Dave. This is a fun conversation. Yeah, yeah it's fun. I'm getting to know you and, um, yeah, wish you the best and we'll see you, uh, later. Thanks, Dave. All right. Bye.